Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the NBA playoffs almost in the rearview mirror, I have a suspicion that they will be as of uh, about 8 p.m. Pacific time on Monday. I want to bring on Seth Partnow to take stock of these playoffs and what we've learned from them, some of the trends that we're seeing, why I'm such an idiot about the Denver Nuggets, uh, all those things uh, I think will be ample fodder for us. Uh, Seth's also going to talk more about Sports Business Classroom, give you some insight into the scouting video and analytics program that he's helped to develop with Dave Dufour and Dan Purcell. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I think you're being too hard on yourself about the Nuggets, because if we were doing this last year, we'd be talking about why I was such an idiot about the Golden State Warriors. So, um, but, you know, you, you, you do this, you have opinions, you have good reasons for your opinions, and a lot of times you're just wrong because, you know, a coin flip lands the way it, it lands. Yeah, although I wouldn't, I, I guess that, that's a good place to start on this. Is this Nuggets postseason run the case of a coin flip landing the way it lands because they've dominated you know this isn't a case of them being you know one of just hey any of these teams could have won it type of thing because like yeah they haven't faced on paper incredible competition but they've dominated that competition uh every titleist that's ever won has has had good luck to win um in the case of denver it's a little subtle they've been healthy they've been have has any of their meaningful players missed a game this postseason i don't think so um, yeah they had a little bit of jamal murray was dealing with some illness at the end of the phoenix series beginning of the lakers series. i think there's there something that was going through their whole team but yeah no no significant player has missed a game and i think really even that Jokic ankle tweak was probably the first even like small injury that i recall anybody on that team suffering i think murray may have tweaked an ankle at some point early in the playoff as well but it was it was again one of those lace lace it up and and we're good to go kind of thing um but that's so they, they've done that they've uh they've i think i i certainly agree with you they've been uh, over the course of the postseason the best team start to back they've also uh have been fortunate in the matchups they've had have been relatively kind uh to them um insofar as uh we know that that uh at this point i i think we can ar- certainly argue whether or not you buy it or not that Nikola jokic is the best player in the world that doesn't mean that he is the the um the swiss army knife that solves all problems by himself there are matchups that are better or worse for him uh both offensively and defensively and i think that uh i think you would probably agree that um certainly in the last two rounds at least um they've faced matchups that are uh even even to the extent the talent level might or might not be different uh the players he's matched 
matched up against, the teams he's matched up against, don't stress him in ways that we've seen him have problems in the past. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, you, you can only beat who you, who you've put in front of me, uh, who you've put in front of you, but Denver has to be pretty happy with, with who's been put in front of them. There hasn't been a, you know, a, a spread pick and roll team with a dominant, like off the dribble point guard. Um, to the extent there was, it was Phoenix and they, and they, you know, uh, as you, you pointed out a lot, uh, their off the dribble pull-up game was largely mid-rangers rather than threes. And so that almost plays into the, the to, you know, Denver playing kind of a, a mathy approach to defense. Um, so they've, those things have gotten their way. And also, you know, if we're honest, this was a season where uh, Denver might be the best team, but when we're in a period that's sort of between dynastic you know, organizational, you know, runs, uh, they're the best of that, you know, as the tide recedes, they're the the highest point we can see. All right, a lot to unpack there. I, I want to list them all so I, I don't miss it. So there's the Nikola Jokic, best player in the world. There's them not facing uh, great spread prick and roll teams. Uh, and then there's also the idea that there isn't necessarily a, a dynasty. Let's start with the Nikola Jokic best player in the world. I think that's, I would agree with that at this point, in part because the three players that I felt were his competition when I did my top 10 players ranking, I did not have Jokic in the top three. And obviously it was wrong to do so. I usually do that about a month before the playoffs. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo were my top three. And all three of those uh, to varying levels disappointed in this postseason run. So the combination of that and also Nikola Jokic having the playoffs that he had, I think it makes it fairly inarguable at this point in time. Uh, I mean, I think he, he already was obviously to me the best or second best offensive player with Steph. And so that now, uh, and the defense, I think part of it too, in addition to the fact they haven't faced any big spread pick and roll teams is just that he's gotten better uh, as well. Like he's actually like given Miami, like actively given Miami problems. Maybe the Lakers a little bit less. Somebody did give Anthony Davis problems in a way that you didn't necessarily see from him before at the playoff level. I think it's interesting to bring up Curry because I, uh, the three players you mentioned are I do a, I do a tiers list every year, which is functionally somewhat similar to a rankings, and those are the those are the four. Wait, what? Players. What? Excuse me. Excuse me. What's that? <laughs> What it's, word did you just, did you just uh, say there? Uh, uh, which, which word? The rankings? Is that a, is that a word that I like get electroshocked <laughs> if I say? Um, but no, those are the those certainly were last year. That was the that was the the one A tier was those four players. Um, I have to think about it, especially with respect to to Durant. But the other two will certainly be in. Uh, Steph and Giannis will, will definitely still be in tier one A with Jokic this year. Uh, and in particular, I want to I want to look at. Um, you know, some of the disappointment you're talking about with Steph um, in many ways kind of parallels the playoff disappointments we saw from Jokic in the last two years when, you know, their starting backcourt was some mix of like Monty Morris and Facundo Campazzo and Austin Rivers and Michael Porter Jr. was limited and um, and he just, he was asked to do too much and ran out of gas and was playing against better teams and at times looked bad. Um, you know, the names are different, the style is different, but I think you can see a lot of the same aspects in in kind of uh, Curry's playoff run this year in that, you know, Jordan Poole gave them very little. Clay was, uh, if we're kind, up and down in the playoffs, and Draymond isn't the player he was three years ago. Yeah, I would say the 
differences I'd point to is that Jokic was pretty much always doing it on the offensive end and really where it was it looked bad for him I thought was defensively you could but his own individual performance offensively was good I think Steph by the time they got to that Lakers series again noting that they're going up against a really good defensive team and I think it's interesting to me the Sacramento series versus the Lakers series really the Steph Curry kryptonite people are like oh man you got to be able to switch you got to have these great perimeter defenders like you got someone who could put pressure on him all that it's really all about having great rim protection to me against Steph Curry and you know at least enough versatility to at least get out on the floor a little bit but where he to me has made teams look the worst the last couple of years is that his ability to get to the basket the Sacramento series that game seven when he had the 50 points like that was when because he's such a good driver now and he's so strong you have to respect the shot he can get into the lane but when he's too scared to shoot that layup or that floater that's when like the full damage that he can do it is kind of lost so I, I think so and then also he's 35 now he's gonna be 36 like it's just it's not realistic to expect him to be playing at the level of the best player for much longer even uh so that that would be my thought there and like you know and, and Giannis I would say to KD like part of the reason that those teams lost was that those guys didn't play well I think there's a difference between hey you played really well but your team just lost they didn't have enough versus uh you you yourself weren't able to play at that level and yeah teammates have something to do with that but it's nice if you could say like yeah I was still putting up 35 every game we lost it's sort of the the KD from from uh two years ago when they lost in seven to the Bucks. Right? Exactly, exactly coming out of that coming out of that and then backing it up with the Olympics you were thinking that coming out of that i think you had a pretty strong argument for for kevin durant being the best player in the world at the time um but yeah no i but i but i think that there is still enough kind of situational variability of of these guys that i don't want to be like perhaps you would say because of age maybe maybe at this point durant and curry are starting to to drop off a little bit uh and so you maybe make it a a two-player race between um you know uh uh, Giannis and 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 Jokic uh of waiting for whoever the next guy to step up whether that's you know an Embiid or a Doncic or someone uh, another younger player I don't know could we see Shea Gilders Alexander take a big leap or something like that or or even Devin Booker like like really take another step or Jason Tatum like be the Jason Tatum he is the 85% or 90% of the time Jason Tatum is when he's good as opposed to the 10% of the time when he's really quite bad which sort of balances it out and, and drops him way down the list so um I, well I I would personally, if I had a vote, I would have voted for Jokic for MVP again this year. I think, yeah, he, me too. I, I think he's the best player in the world right now. I think it's close enough that I'm not going to like bite your head off if you want to pick one of the other kind of top candidates uh, for for that reason. He's, but he certainly has shown himself to be a a prime candidate worthy of the nomination. Yeah, I, I would go beyond that. I guess I do take a little bit more of a whether you've earned it approach to that title. But uh, well, let me ask you this: Do you think any of the teams that they didn't play would have been able to give Denver a better series than the ones that they did play. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot because before the season, I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take a half victory lap here and half uh, walk of shame in that I picked the Nuggets to make the finals preseason, uh, where I picked them to lose to the Bucks. Um, and the thing is, is that the thing a lot of the things that undid the Bucks on top of you know you, 
credit to Miami for for playing well and whatever amount you want to ascribe to shooting variants and so on and so forth uh, from the Heat's role players. Uh, but the 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 issues that the 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 Bucks were going to have entering the playoffs were there to be seen, like the whole time. The fact that yeah. they didn't have they had one of the most overrated regular seasons that we've seen in a long time. And also, I mean, just just if you look at the at the composition of the roster, like you know, the lack of athleticism, the lack of secondary ball handling, the lack of knockdown shooting, like these are all sort of you know we kind of like uh, they're 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 top guys, and you know some veteran grit will will get them through that. And we kind of we, we I say we I mean like all of these things that like I recognize that like hey that's a lot of a lot of reliance on Joe Ingles as like a, a secondary playmaker and creator for where Joe Ingles in his career. Um, you end up with Wes Matthews on the floor a lot. You're starting Grayson Allen at the two. All of these things were were problems that stared us in the face and we looked at them and but I for whatever reason just kind of waved past them and they all turned out to jump up and bite them in the playoffs. Um I think on paper Boston, but I think that they almost they from a the best version of that team. I'm not even sure we really ever saw it this year. They had a great start when they made every three, but the best version of them from a playoff standpoint has had a heavy dose of Robert Williams being kind of a defensive player of the year level guy and you know they flashed that at times over the second level of the season but they they never really got to that version of themselves if that version of themselves showed up you play them in, against Denver in 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 a final series what does it look like I, that would be interesting i don't think we've seen that boston team you know even you know even getting to game 7 of the eastern conference finals i don't think that that we were ever especially enamored of the way boston has played throughout this postseason yeah games 1 and 2 of the hawks series i was like oh yeah they're coming out they're not fucking around this time and then they uh, <laughs> promptly fucked around uh but i i would say that i think any of the top three seeds in the east in part because they would have had each of those teams would have had home court i think would have given denver a better series than any of the teams that they played but it's not just about like like being the best team isn't about oh could you have matched up with and beat the champion like part of being the best team is the playoffs are this crucible you have to have a bunch of different styles you have to win a a bunch of different types of games you have to be consistent throughout the course of a seven game series and four seven game series and so you might say yeah you know if if the boston celtics played denver with home court advantage starting tomorrow would i I'd see it as like you know a 55 45 series for boston that doesn't i mean part of of being the champion is you have to get to the actual finals so and that's of course denver was able to do that with aplomb and the teams in the east uh, were not i think that um we're talking about this playoff crucible and um you know ability to play multiple styles and i think from you know listening to what you've kind of i i think if i was going to say where you went wrong in your analysis of denver is not recognizing the degree to which they crafted at least a top six that is super well designed both to have guys that are playoff reliable but also within within various combinations of those six players without having to make a bunch of different substitutions without having to put like your you know your your power play lineup you know your power play unit on on the floor or whatever can play a number of different styles because of the skills and versatility of those and it starts with Jokic but I mean Aaron Gordon's a very versatile player uh mpj has great positional size um uh you know murray is a pretty big 
big point guard. Um, you know, for being a fifth dude, uh, KCP is 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 you know v- quite versatile, and you know he's made a couple of of big plays off the dribble, which you know I, I think that was a, that was a underrated aspect of a lot of those Warriors teams where the ball would find their fifth guy on the floor, and it would be Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston, and they could still make a play. Um, and then you know with with KC, like I don't think KCP and Bruce Brown are yeah. that level. He, of he's not Reggie Bullock. Right. right. Like it's a guy who can actually do a little bit of something. Right. Sure. Uh, and so that's, that's, you know, what I saw from like looking ahead on Denver was, was just that a team that is built with these, you know, these playoff ready guys who can play multiple ways without having to, to chop and change. So you can, you can almost adjust on the fly in the game instead of having to, oh, we got caught with our, you know, I, I, you know, you were talking about uh, how Duncan Robinson was a defensive liability uh, at the end of, of game four. But the trade-off there is they they, they I think rightly um, or correctly I don't know if the the trade-off was right but they correctly needed his offense and them having yeah. to make those kind of decisions Mike Michael Malone doesn't really have to make those kind of decisions that's a great point BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U S economy in 2022 investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer Arkea Energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. I think it, uh, on the list of things that I underestimated, I'll, I'll try to be exhaustive here uh, because I, I've been pretty vocal in saying I thought it would be hard to for Denver to win a championship and for uh, them to do it specifically given Jokic's defense and uh, certainly how relatively bulletproof the rest of their defensive rotation was is something that was pretty important and that they had worked on some of these different styles. Uh, so, so that's definitely 
definitely a, a big component that there wasn't necessarily here's where we're going to attack in terms of their smaller rotation defensively. I think like MPJ, although he had a few foibles early in this series, largely has been pretty good defensively in these playoffs, much beyond where he was uh, the last time we saw him in the playoffs, even in 21, where he was a, a frequent target for Lillard and the Suns in addition to Jokic. So him adding something that that was a big part of it. I think the other thing that uh, I didn't appreciate enough, and this is something that Adam Morris has hit on some back when he's talking about how limited the rest of their group was uh, back in the day, is that you Denver just punishes bad defenders so much more than you would think because they're not doing it in a traditional way, but they're doing it through Jokic and his ability to identify any mismatch, find even the slightest opening. So whether it's mental mistakes or it's guys that you think just can't hold up, they're able to just totally punish those guys. And so then you've got to go to these really good defensive groups if you're going to have a chance to slow them down. Let's happen to the Lakers in their series where, all right, yeah, you're going to play Dennis Schroeder, match his minutes to Jamal Murray for 38 minutes a game. Okay, that's great. But now you can't really play spread, pick and roll against us because you have him out there. And so it's rare to have a team that's has so many good offensive and defensive options. Maybe the Celtics in theory could have been a, a team like that to where you're actually able to score enough against them if you're going to also stop them well enough that it's not just a complete parade. And then I think the coaching too, I, I underestimated uh, particularly just that they got rid of any backup center at all. They just played this top seven, this top eight the whole time. They didn't get killed on the bench. Uh, and then also to say, and this is pretty dumb because I noted this in my Jokic MVP argument, the only great team in the regular season this year was the Denver Nuggets when Nikola Jokic played. That was really the only great group that was into the double digits in terms of net rating this year even Giannis with the Bucks and Tatum with the Celtics like those they didn't break that double digit net rating which is where you really want to be if you're a championship contender with your best player on the floor so am I missing anything is that is that enough there no I think that's I I think that's uh, the the mayor has been cult I would say (laughs) Um, I, uh, I, mean, I do want to. Yeah. I do want to hit on the. I do want to hit on the 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 Jokic defense point just a little bit more though, um, because I think this is that that was that's been a point that that sort of and not just from you from everyone that's sort of it's a um, sort of the bad defensive center heuristic. I think that's a, it's it's a reasonable one, but it's sort of like the underlying assumptions of it is uh, almost unspoken is like a bad defensive center or first of all he's been better than bad in the playoffs, but also um, for most centers like he's bad on defense and he doesn't do enough on offense to make up for it i don't think yeah. that assumption that assumption like i, I think we I, frankly we haven't totally answered that assumption yet uh wh- whether it exists with Jokic because he's been enough better on defense but we've never seen at least in this era of basketball a center as offensively you know gifted and versatile and and really like uh, uh playoff unschemable as as Jokic. so is he it, he he if there's someone who's going to be the exception to that rule like the difference in offense between like Demonis Sabonis is a very good, very versatile offensive player, but the difference in le- both style and level 
like changes the discussion about, you know, the trade-off between his defense and offense uh, in such a way that might make that heuristic just not not apply to, to a, a, as much as it as it normally would. Uh, and especially in an environment where you can't like, well, that's just one disqualifying thing for this team because, I mean, ha- over the last really two, three years, uh, you, you go in the playoffs, it's pretty easy to find reasons why any given team won't win the championship, like for everybody. So when, when everyone's got some flaws, we kind of have to slightly reevaluate which ones are are not just damaging but like disqualifyingly fatal yeah another thing too is they just they didn't go up against another great offense i'm not like i kind of cut my teeth in this game with the big three miami heat with chris bosh at center and then lebron james and the cleveland cavaliers with kevin love and kyrie irving and a bunch of three-point shooting and of course uh, the warriors machine and they didn't go up against an offense that was that good and now that, that was my thought that those teams could still defend a little better than denver but then that those teams would just completely embarrass Jokic defensively out in the perimeter they didn't go up against that a team that was going to play five out that was going to set screens at half court and maybe the suns could have gotten there but they still had a you know a big center that Jokic could guard like they weren't going weren't able to go five out they tried to go like full spread pick and roll but they just didn't have the level of continuity needed and once booker got hurt he wasn't able to go nuclear like the suns just weren't a complete enough team uh to stress them out in that way even though i did pick the suns to win uh after the nuggets were kind of unimpressive in that uh minnesota series frankly that was kind of part of it too and they were unimpressive down the end of the season and then they turned it on so yeah i I think that's another part of it too is they just didn't face like my assumption always was well they're gonna face a team like this or or like a dallas mavericks team from last year right with luka Doncic and five out spacing that they're gonna go up against a team like that and they never did now they may well have just been able to outscore such a team anyway uh but that part of it uh, i guess was never tested either now you mentioned this idea that these guys uh, you know this is kind of an era there isn't a dominant team there are a lot of 2015 warriors vibes to me maybe about this denver team where it's like all right they didn't necessarily have to play anybody but they, they handled the competition they had relatively well probably better than that 15 warriors team did they're all pretty young and so are we gonna come out next year ah it's wide open again and then this denver team just team rolls again and like they're not going anywhere for the next five years they're just going to be a monster i was having coffee with the with the with a very nba knowledgeable friend of mine uh about two weeks ago i think it was after game one of the finals and they they you know uh they, they came away with the win there and and it was like denver's not just going to win this finals they're going to win next year's they're, they're, they're going to win next year too and it was based in large part on that um and his argument which i think was a good one is the stuff they need to the extent they need is relatively easy to find like could they use one more ball handler yeah could they use like a a serviceable backup center so that Jokic doesn't have to 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 grind a ton of minutes and maybe when they play a team that has just a banger they can they can they can do that could they use one more wing I think um that one of the uh kind of exciting things about the the Christian Brown playoff experiment uh, experience is that going into his second year if we see the normal kind of progression from clueless rookie to knows what he's doing second year guy like they might actually have that kind of that 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 bigger more athletic backup wing that they might need 
might already be in the building. Um, obviously, like hanging on to Bruce Brown going to be a key for them. But like adding another ball handler and adding a you know a backup center that's better than DeAndre Jordan. Those aren't the hardest things in the world to find. And then on top of that, you've got this this group of of if even if Brown leaves, this group of five guys that has shown themselves to be dominant when healthy. So that's a it's a pretty good place to start for for a sustained run. I would agree with you. And they probably have the most durable star as well. Now they're probably going to lose Bruce Brown in free agency. There are going to be some issues in finding the next Bruce Brown. He's one of the best signings ever for the taxpayer mid-level this year. You don't find that guy every season. So they could be going into Michael Porter Jr. could easily get hurt again. There are certainly Caldwell Pope could fall off a little bit. This may end up being their deepest team. Even Jeff Green is a, a free agent. And at some point he's got to, he'll have to fall off and, and are, are the likes of Peyton Watson and Zeke Naji ever going to be able to contribute Vlako Chanchar actually kind of like um you know so so they may not have the same uh overall depth uh, and even one of those guys getting injured could have uh, put them in a different spot um anything else that you want to talk about with respect to these playoffs that's really stood out to you um i i mean when we were we kind of chatting before the show uh you brought up the 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 notion of of larger playoff lessons and i i kind of want to hear hear your thoughts on that i i um i've had a going back almost i don't know i think going back to the terry rozier draft actually is the first time this really started to occur to me is um if you remember when boston picked him a lot of people didn't like it and i was like well you think about it um um, you know, physically strong, athletic, versatile guys seem like the kinds of guys that don't get played off the floor in the playoffs. Like you can, they may not be good enough, but they're not going to be just, you know, a liability. Like, you know, as much fun as I've had with uh, with the Heat over the last couple of years about, you know, talking about their depth and it's like, oh, and they get one injury and suddenly Gabe Vincent's on the floor. I mean, playoff Gabe Vincent is a, is a even when he's not shooting like 70% or whatever from three, is a credible, tough playoff performer so i just continue to think that that like there's a certain like versatility and athleticism and and body strength that really uh sort of comes to the fore uh in the postseason and you know and and the the players that it comes at the expense of are the sort of the in in many ways the the sort of the the yay point six man uh undersized scoring guard types you know the uh the 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 jordan pools uh the tyler hero um you know Whoever else, uh, Anthony, like Anthony Simons hasn't really gotten a chance to show, but I am like, I'm kind of out on Anthony Simons just because I'm like, how's that going to work in the playoff? Like maybe Tyrese Maxey is a, a level of player up. And I think he is that I don't have quite the same concerns, but just in terms of the relative weights of, you know, it, it may sound unfair to, fair to hero since he got hurt. I kind of think that, that, uh, that a, 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 you know, we talk about luck. I think that him getting hurt was probably a decent break for Miami because yeah. it allowed them to play this sort of consistently physical defensive of grindy style yeah i think that that makes some sense and it's easier when you have Joel Embiid behind someone like Tyrese Maxey, and he still got taken advantage of uh, in the end by the forearm to the chest uh, of Jason Tatum, which is uh, one of the, the most difficult to deal with weapons in the NBA, other other than the forearm to the chest of Giannis Antetokounmpo or Nikola Jokic or Bam Adebayo or any, anybody else that you want to bring up. Uh, but yeah, it's particularly because you can now, like, can now just deliver blows like that and transfer force 
force to a defensive player if you just don't have the heft it doesn't matter really how quick you are how fundamentally sound you are guys are always going to just be able to bludgeon you into position uh, and score uh so yeah I, i've i think that that's a, a pretty good one that and generally just teams led by small point guards like those guys are very important in the regular season you need guys who can run your offense most of those guys are going to be smaller because they have the skill level but there's a reason that we've really only seen one team led by a point guard and that's the the guy the one guy who really breaks everything in Steph Curry be a, a championship team in you know really just about ever and Curry is also like bigger and stronger than you think he is um and I would add I don't yeah. think it's as simple by the way as like being you know getting you know the the you always see the uh you know the defensive lineman in football who's wearing a cast and if they're playing in a cold weather game they pour water on it so it just becomes this big ice club um that's not it's not just that um it's, it's no you know, of course the, it's not the, just the, that the, that was my the, old the, man yells at cloud yeah I know but the here. but the importance of the the, the importance how offensive rebounding can swing games and being able to hold up on the boards even if you get switched the importance of being able to navigate um the less stationary screens that we might tend to see in the postseason as certain things get let go not that bam out of bio where he starts to scream and where screen and where he actually is when contact is made differs by three feet on average but it does um so the, those things also like come into play that just that 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 ruggedness and also and also like the playoffs are pretty attritional and if you have the strength to it's like you know take some shots and fight through you probably have a little more left down the end should you get there yeah overall though i think i I don't know that any of those are particularly revelations to me uh, relative to where we were in the past Uh, i think and Jokic is just such a unique player at this point in time and you compare him to i guess i mean the closest guy in the league to him i guess would be Embiid. but Embiid hasn't really been able to be successful but Jokic has and i think that just shows how uh, absolutely incredible nikola Jokic is and hey guess what Uh, whoever has the best player wins like that (laughs) that's usually how it ends up being a a lot of the time uh, what about this what about can i can i break in actually i think i would make a different yeah. comparison for at least from a playoff standpoint i think Giannis is more similar to Jokic than Embiid is be just because it's the combination of of size and being able to face the floor and initiate the offense uh Jokic's obviously massively better at that particular skill than Giannis but but a lot of times like Giannis is the center of the floor have the ball initiator for the bucks and like they philly does that like gets gets Embiid the ball kind of at the nail to try to score but that's not really an initiation thing so much as that's where their offense is trying to get to so it's not it's not a particularly good comparison but I do think that's why I think that's a reason why Giannis over his career has been able to be a little more playoff impactful than than Embiid because he has that ability to take the ball out on the floor and doesn't need to get fed to to have some degree of effectiveness yeah well and also just being a, a better defensive player too I guess that's kind of i was including defense in that in terms of who they're guarding what you have to do with them defensively Jokic, he's just his ability to just absolutely kill because Embiid, it's just he just takes him a little longer to get the ball like yeah you know what if he's facing up he's probably going to get fouled by some inferior defender but it just it, the idea is like yeah we could get away with double teaming this guy a little bit which you just you can't do that with Jokic, and then Jokic also anyone who's not an Anthony Davis level of on-ball defender is also going to get cooked by him. Like maybe you would say if you're going to play a game of one-on-one, Joel Embiid would be a little bit tougher to deal with than Jokic, but of course it's not a game of one-on-one. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is where I was going to go with this. I think it's been a while since the that like apex predator wing type uh, has really been the one to be the best player now. Like, KD hasn't gotten past the second round recently and LeBron his last time really at that level was in 2020. Kawhi just got close to that level of times in 21 but he wasn't able to stay healthy and there isn't necessarily like Tatum just hasn't been able to be good enough at that level and Jalen Brown as well. You, those guys are still really important players but also it seems like you don't have to have that guy to really be in the mix now which is kind of exciting to me i like the fact that you can build your team differently and the clippers tried to build this all wing team didn't really work and that was supposed to be like the ultimate archetype so that that's pretty exciting to me that there are different ways uh, to go about it at this point. And I think that it's that's an interesting time for there to become different uh, different ways as kind of the uh, it certainly feels like with the new CBA we're entering a a I think all the pieces have always mattered but like it's very obvious on the face that like you know mistakes can be uh harder to buy out from or harder to mask just by you know throwing another pick or some more money at it or something like like that so like having these options and not you know feeling like you have to follow this one this one weird trick that'll build you an nba finals team but having to make like a a series of contextual great decisions and have them work out to me that's exciting so i i, I would agree with you that i'm 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 kind of looking forward to seeing uh where teams go in the next uh, five years you like the new cba uh I'm I am one provision away from really liking it. Uh, there was one. There was a provision that was reported. Uh, you know, when a v- agreement was first came out, that I don't think has. I, I I haven't seen any of the term sheets or anything like that that has made it in. And it was. Um. They they were there was at one point there was going to be a gradual phase out of teams receiving uh tax disbursements. So as of right now, it's like all right, the first level of tax isn't that onerous in and of itself, but it still costs you that first dollar of tax still cost you $15 million because you don't get the payment. And I think that's like, that would have removed the first tax line as an effective hard cap on whatever subset of teams sort of treats it as such because they kind of want that, 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 that revenue of that, that, that almost subsidy from the, from the Warriors and Clippers, the world. So like, is there, you know, the, the, say the Pacers, you know, Tyrese Halliburton continues to develop and, and Ben Matherin is a, is a dude and they start to, to progress. And there's a choice between, 
between, you know, we could spend the full MLE and get this one guy and that's going to make us a conference finalist, uh, a, a contender for a conference finals team, but it's going to put us uh, a buck five into the luxury tax. Um, so it'll effectively cost us five million instead of instead of just that one point five. That's a different question than if it's like the tax payment on top of the full 15 million that you don't get. And for, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think for some owners, that's going to continue to prove to be a barrier. And I think that provision would have balanced a better balance, the kind of reduction of the top team's ability to spend uh, by further encouraging the team's lower down to spend. I would, that that's the one thing that, that would have taken it from kind of a solid B to an A minus or so. From Well, I think it's not going to matter that much because teams just won't be deep into the tax. You're not going to have teams that are $40 million into the tax or $30 million in the tax with just probably that 17 and a half. Maybe there'll be like one team or two teams that exceed that in a given year and not by that much because there are also way more stringent financial penalties and particularly for the repeater tax as well. So I think that whether and maybe in that earlier draft, they they had that in that it just kind of phases in as far as not getting the luxury tax payment distribution. But that payment is just going to be a lot smaller now. I think it'll maybe end up being you know, a six or $7 million Delta in cash, which maybe that matters for some teams, but, uh, I, I think it's not going to matter as much. Uh, these last two, three years, we've seen just crazy high tax distributions. And I think those days will be over after next season. And if that's the case, then, then my concern goes away some, because I think that, I think that was sort of an, that unintended consequence of that first tax dollar being so expensive made that made it, made it a, an unpalatable choice. And, and, you know, if we're talking about like, wait, you're saying we can maybe, you know, add a, add a couple, three wins that might help us win one more playoff round but i gotta i gotta gamble 20 million real dollars on it as much as i'd like to say i want to see every owner going for it like that's a that's a that's a big bet with maybe not a lot of return on it and so if that bet becomes smaller for the same return then uh then maybe we'll see more teams make it and that would be all to the good so we got about 10 minutes left here want to bring back uh, america's favorite simpson themed basketball podcast reference seth partnow old man shakes fist at cloud what is just sticking in your craw right now about the basketball dialogue now this is i i this is a uh to make a different pop culture reference this is a maybe a dr ian malcolm uh when we, we started talking about like shot quality and and things like that uh we, we asked if we if we could we never stopped to ask if we should um i think that the <laughs> prevalence of this notion that's like oh we had great shot quality and they didn't and we therefore we deserve to win like miami was lucky that they made shots we were unlucky that we didn't like making shots is like the most important thing in basketball and you know like i i I almost feel like these these um it's good that we have these measures of process that so it's not just completely results driven but we have to be still i think we have to do a better job getting back to starting from the results and and then working that way instead of like well you know if you look at the the shot quality boston should have made six more threes and miami should have made three less and if you 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 make that uh, 27 point swing boston actually won by 15 tonight like i am i'm so sick of seeing like that kind of discourse uh uh, floating around um and it it actually makes me uh i don't want to say ashamed it makes me like a little 
mm, about whatever part I had in, in like popularizing kind of, of, of the, cause I think it is important to, to, to recognize kind of the structural process based way a team is playing. So you can evaluate whether, all right, in the future, we're probably going to make more of those shots. We're probably fine with the shots we were giving up uh, going forward, but in a, certainly in a playoff settings, what happened happened. And if we don't, if we start anywhere else, but there, then we get into this, like, well, that wasn't a real title because it was in the bubble or because they didn't play anybody or because Michael Jordan was retired or, or this or that. And it's just like, no, you, you, you won. You like you can only play who's in front of you. And, you know, every series you went out and won four games before the other team did. And that's the, that's the assignment. You understood the assignment. And, um, these sort of relativistic viewpoint of that, I think, is taking away from uh, the recognition of teams that like do what they're asked to do. Yeah, I think there is definitely, in, at times, the missing element of, yeah, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you should have done this, or maybe it was uh, unlucky that this happened. And if you want to cry about that type of stuff, Go follow. You want to try following another sport? Then you can really cry about it. Then you can cry about what the uh, you know it's only a one game situation in an NCAA tournament or in football. One pass interference penalty changes the whole game. Seven game series in the NBA as it's as realistic of a test of who's actually better, and particularly four seven game series in a row than any other sport that I can think of. And so uh, this is as good as it's going to get in terms of this whole who deserves to win actually wins and yeah you you need to actually make the shots like you can't dismiss your loss is shot making because uh yeah it's one of the most important skills like uh, oh yeah steph curry just hit a 35 footer on us like we, we didn't deserve to lose well no actually he does that pretty regularly now i do think there's a place for the analysis in terms of do we need to do a different strategy or even trying to predict what's going to happen in future games but yes like you i don't like dismissing what's already happened because of stuff like that uh speaking of deserve i this is a a, a stat i put in our in our group chat yesterday and I'll, if we want to talk about deserve we can talk about how part of the reason that like miami has has progressed to where they they have is they refuse to go away and if you are a team that is going to give them an inch they're going to take it and take more than that and if you compare how denver in the fourth quarter of games has answered seemingly every Miami run uh, as compared to the other teams Miami has played, uh, that's a pretty big part about why my, why Miami A deserved to be in the finals over these teams, but also why Denver is um, is is kind of handily winning the finals. Uh, just looking at this is this is you know you don't want to the actual numbers you don't want to read too much into because we're talking about like four between forty and sixty possessions for each team after a Miami make in the fourth quarters of, of games. Milwaukee had a sixty nine point six offensive rating in the fourth quarter af- off of Miami made. Field. New York had a 79.5 offensive rate. Boston, 93.2. That's how you give up fourth quarter runs. As they score, you don't score, they score again. The All, th- all three of them combined, 81.9 offensive rating. In this series, Denver's offensive rating in the fourth quarter off of a Miami make, 121.4. And since they've been hovering around 120 all series, like I think observationally, like the biggest thing Denver has done that the other teams haven't done is when Miami starts to put pressure on them from a, they'll go, well, they, they hit a three. The Jimmy Butler went to the basket. 
basket. They, they, bam, got a tip dunk. Okay, we're going to come down and run our offense, get a good shot. Jamal Murray's going to make a shot. We're going to hit a back cut. We're going to, we're going to run our stuff. Jokic is going to find. We're, we're not going to turn it over yeah. and give you, give them another fast break. Right. Uh, so if we want to talk about deserve, let's talk about like how, how Denver has, has answered that bell basically every game in, in, in the postseason. And I would, I would actually, you know, frankly, probably even include game, game two where like, you know, they, they were right. They, they, Miami gave a run and Denver had a run right back at them to, to, you know, have a shot to tie at the end. No, they've been fantastic. I mean, I think the biggest compliment that I can give them is, and this has been really true in the Lakers series and in this series when they're likely not going to have lost to any of their road games and, and just any team going in the end nine and one across the conference finals and the finals is extremely impressive no matter who you're playing. But it just... It always it seems like you just have to play perfectly to beat them, doesn't it? Particularly on the defensive end, it really does. And that's you know you you're mentioning about like Jokic's ability to punish mistakes, and they're the things that aren't even like some of the passes he's hit Aaron Gordon with. Like there's not a window there with for anybody no. else, and and it's just like oh it's a, the, well you can't you can't guard him that way. It's like well, but for if 449 players in the league have the ball there, you can guard him that way. And the one guy who can somehow both see and execute that pass has it and and it just you know it puts you in such difficult situations and like you say like just having those being able to get those i don't know you say they get about five buckets a game just off that like that 10 point cushion goes a long way all right well i will be seeing you in las vegas we'll get some awesome food as usual but uh, you're gonna be there for the entire time uh, godspeed uh, to that <laughs> but uh, we catch covid this year uh yeah likewise um so wanted to ask you though what you've been working on for uh, our SBC students uh, who uh, are going to be interacting with you and Dave Dufour and Dan Priscilla along with many other fantastic staff uh, in the scouting video and analytics portion of SBC. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm I'm very pleased to be going. This is, I believe, my fourth year, uh, counting, I guess, the virtual year in 2020. Uh, my fourth year uh, instructing at, uh, at at SBC, and in the we've developed over the last couple of years um, uh, the scouting video and analytics. Analytics, uh, call it concentration. You call it call it major. Um, largely as a way for students to learn both a little bit about all those disciplines. Um, figure out which of those, whether it's you know the the high test scouting, whether it's 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 video review, whether it's it's analytics. Figure out how to communicate between those to form a better overall picture of of what a player or a team is. Um, we think that going forward, you know, for for people who are in SBC are largely trying to get it get up working in basketball oftentimes working with teams um a big part of that is being able to communicate and, and be a good colleague to people and, and that starts from okay i'm not an expert in what you're talking about if you're if you're talking about a regression model doing this or that but i understand it enough that i can take that information on and synthesize it with what i've seen on film with what my scouting report says to help us collectively form a better uh, more complete opinion of this player and whether we should look to acquire or not. Uh, and so to that end, with working with Dave Dufour, uh, who's the lead instructor on, uh, folks probably know from, as, as my podcast partner on Nerder, uh, Dan Purcell, longtime NBA scout uh, with, a, with a couple different teams, um, to really uh, 
concrete examples of all those disciplines and then building them together uh, in such a way that that uh, the students will come out of the week with the ability to form a, a more holistic picture of of, uh, of a player or a team uh, than they had when they were able, when they went in. All right, so give it a shot, sportsbusinessclassroom.com, and you can be there at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas for what I think will be one of the best weeks of your life, in addition to being extremely useful for future employment prospects. So please give it a shot. And Seth, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you all next time. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 